He created the cows. He created the chickens. He created the pigs. And he, the creator of meat, created me. I am his. It's pretty good. Anybody else hungry right now? Well, yeah, I am too. So, so that's always great. You know, I don't, you don't ever trust skinny people for restaurants. And fat preachers will get you out of service on time. I'm just telling you, two things always bust. Well, I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you here on Father's Day. And uh, if you have your Bible, if you turn me to Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to look at seven verses today. Seven verses, Ephesians chapter 3, we're in this series, I Am His. And in Father's Day, I want to wish all you guys a happy Father's Day. And so I have a top ten list, top ten things you will never hear a dad say. Number ten, how about that? I'm lost, it looks like we're going to have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Number nine, you know Pumpkin, now that you're 13, you'll be ready for unchaperoned car dates. Won't that be fun? Never. Uh, number eight, I notice that all of your friends have a certain hostile attitude. I want you to know I like that. <laughs> number seven, here's a credit card and the keys to my new car. Go crazy. Yeah, that's not happening. Number six, what do you mean you want to play football? Figure skating's not good, for, good enough for you, son? <laughs> number five, your mother and I are going away for the weekend. You might want to consider throwing a party. Number four, well, I don't know what's wrong with your car. It's probably one of those doohickey thingies, you know, make something run or something. Just have it towed to the mechanic and pay whatever he asks. Number three, no son of mine is going to live under this roof without an earring. Now quit your belly aching. Let's go to the mall and get that earring. It's not going to happen. Number two, what do you want to go and get a job for? I make plenty of money for you to spend. And the top thing you'll never hear... Uh, you'll, you'll never hear your dad say is, what do, you, what do you want for Father's Day? Or what do I want for Father's Day? Ah, don't worry about that. It's no big deal. They, act, they, say, they may actually say this, but they don't mean it. So hopefully you've remembered your dad for Father's Day. And, uh, you know, if you've forgotten, nothing that uh, a good meal can't, can't solve after this service. So Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up and starting in verse 14. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen for you. But the Bible says that, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and in earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to the power, his power that's at work within us. To him be the glory to the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, I, I want to start here. He starts in verse 14 and he makes a statement, for this reason. For this reason. Now, if you were with me last week, we talked a lot about what he's talking about here, this reason. Uh, and that is simply this. It's the mystery of God. He's referring to the mystery of God. The mystery of God is that it's God's plan to save the world through Jesus. That's what the mystery of God is. 
In verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 3, he, he talks about this mystery of God. Throughout these letters that Paul writes to the church, to the various churches, church in Rome, church in Ephesus, uh, we, we see that he uses this phrase, mystery of God, and it refers to God's plan to save the world through Jesus Christ. Where does that come from? Well, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 16, says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting or eternal life. That's God's plan. Verse 17 goes on to say that God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through Jesus the world might be saved. Jesus says in Luke's gospel of his own mission, it's I'm here to seek and save that which is lost. That was his personal mantra, his personal mission statement. So when Paul says, hey, for this reason, the reason he's talking about is God's heartbeat, that not willing that any should perish, that God's plan to save the world through Jesus Christ. And he gives us the response there, the reason, the response to the reason at the end of verse 14. And he says, I kneel before the Lord. He takes this posture, this physical posture, uh, the same way you would with royalty or out of respect or reverence, that you kneel, that you bow. This is what a Christ follower does. This is what a Christian does. This is one that follows Christ, is that they kneel before God. It's an act of submission. It's what we would call the salvation experience. The salvation experience. That's what Paul's referring to, is that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not just who the Bible says he is, he is my Lord. Paul's showing, hey, I am bowing down, I am kneeling down, I'm acknowledging that God's love for me is so great that he sent his one and only son, not just to save me, but to save the entire world, and I personally accept that. That's what verse 14 is all about. So how does this salvation experience work? Well, I'm glad you asked that question, because in verse 16, Paul's prayer is, is that you and I would be strengthened by all that God has through the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about this just for a second. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, three in one. And so the Bible says if you read John's Gospel, chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus describes the working of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit never speaks of himself. He always points to Jesus. That's his job. The Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins and comfort us in our, in our losses. That's his role. He's like a personal navigational system in, in life. He's the, 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 the Greek word for that is paraclete, which is one who walks alongside. He's personally there to walk alongside you, to walk alongside me. He is the one that facilitates this salvation experience, verse 16 refers to. There's two ways he does this. First of all, he draws us. No one comes to God unless he's drawn. Jesus says in John's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. So you have to be drawn of by God, and he does this through the person of the Holy Spirit in order to come to faith in Jesus Christ. That's the reason why sometimes you, you may talk to someone about faith in Christ, you may talk to someone about God, and their radar is not up at all. The antenna is not up at all. Why? Because they're not looking. They're, 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 not, they're, not, they're, they're just not really. But then all of a sudden, boom, the lights come on. All of a sudden, the antenna is up. All of a sudden, the radar is up, and, and they're catching everything that's going on. What's happening? The Holy Spirit's beginning to draw them. Some of you are here today, and you're not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, as I'm beginning to talk, it's like all of a sudden, your eyes are open and your ears are open. All of a sudden, it's like you and I are having a personal conversation at Starbucks over a grande skinny cinnamon dolce latte at 190 degrees. That's my drink of choice. And so, whatever you may be happening, and it's like you feel like, man, I'm, you're reading my mail. That's the working of the Holy Spirit. 
I have that happen to me all the time. People say, man, like, it was like, it was like you were in my apartment this week. It's like you are at our house this week. It's like you were in my car. You heard these conversations. How do you know that? I don't. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a he, not an it. He draws you. He draws me. He draws us unto God. And unless he draws us, none of us come to faith in Christ. But all of a sudden, when the lights come on, all of a sudden, when our ears are open, all of a sudden, when we become drawn by God through the Holy Spirit, boom, it happens. And then we do exactly what Paul says. We acknowledge the fact that it's God's plan to save the world through Jesus Christ. We acknowledge the fact that there's only one way to God the Father. That's through Jesus Christ the Son. We begin to experience the so love of God into our life. And Jesus comes in and he becomes Lord of our life because we invite him in. And we confess with our mouth according to Romans 10, 9, and 10. And we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we are saved. And at that point, the Holy Spirit does a second thing that he does. He fills us at salvation. The Bible says that this salvation experience is sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit of God. That's the reason why Paul says the power that raised Christ from the dead, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, dwells in me. That's why greater is he that's in me, the Bible says, than he that's in the world. What is that? How does that happen? Through the person of the Holy Spirit. We talked about this earlier in this series of as we're walking through the book of Ephesians, but I remind you, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. You, also, you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So that's how verse 16 happens. That God would strengthen you in all that he has through who? Through the Spirit of God, through the Holy Spirit. So how or where does this occur? Verse, verse 16, how or where does this occur? Verse 17 says it occurs in your heart. It occurs in your heart. Look back at verse 17 again. If you have your Bibles, look back. It says, so that Christ may dwell where? In your hearts. How? Through faith. So let's, let's just talk about how this actually happens. You see, Christ dwells in your heart. Why does he dwell in your heart? Why does he not dwell in your mind or in your physical body? Because the Bible says that this physical body is limited. This physical body has a birth date and a death date. There is a time that this physical body, this, this is corruptible flesh. This is, this is mortal. It, it has a beginning and an end. Why does it not enter my mind? Because my mind is only operating if my heart, if my body, if my physical body, if the, if the neurological system of this body, the physical body is working, then my mind's working. But without my physical body working, my brain shuts down. So it's limited. The only thing in me that's not limited is my spirit. It's that part of me that's eternal. Now I get to decide where, where my spirit, where I, the really me, the real Aaron, spends eternity, heaven or hell. It's my choice. God's not playing rock'em, sock'em robots with my life. God's not controlling me in the cosmos and with some heavenly joystick in the heavenlies. God allows you and me to choose. We're free moral agents. We get to pick. We get to choose. And the reality is, is that I had the ability to choose Jesus or not, to accept him or to reject him. But he resides in my heart, which represents my spirit. It's the very innermost part of who I am. It's a part of me that's eternal. And how does that happen? Verse 17 says, by faith. See, Jesus says that every single one of us, you, me, all of us on the planet, we are given a measure of faith. So in the words of the great theologian Bob Dylan, you're going to trust somebody. You don't know that deep theologian, Dr. Dylan. You're going to trust somebody. 
You're going to put your trust in yourself. You're going to put your trust in your money. You're going to put your trust in your relationships. You're going to put your trust in your company. You're going to put your trust in your retirement. You're going to put your trust in your kids. You're going to put your trust in your spouse. You're going to put your trust in the church. God help you. Or you're going to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. You're going to trust somebody. You're going to lean on someone. You're going to choose someone. Even an, even an atheist that says there is no God, his belief in his, in, is in the absence of deity, which actually is his faith. That's where he's placing it. The agnostic doesn't know. He still has it. He's undecided. But everybody ultimately makes a decision, except reject. You're going to put your faith in somebody, in some something, or in Jesus Christ. And so what happens is, is that you have the ability to put your faith in Christ. To put your faith in him. That's what Paul's referring to. How does this work? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because John in the book of Revelation writes in, in Revelation chapter 3 verse 20, he says it this way. Here I am, Jesus says. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Like that eating party, man. Spiritual. Food is spiritual. When are you people going to learn? You skinny people are unspiritual. I'm just telling you. That's why the Bible says be fat on the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hey. All right. Let me help you with this. What happens is, is in, is in the New Testament, first century, right? So the book of Ephesus, or Ephesians, is written to the church in Ephesus. Primarily they're Gentiles or non-Jews. This is 60 years after Jesus Christ has, has died on the cross and risen from the grave. And, and so and Ephesus is a world-class city. So it's not too far from Istanbul in modern-day Turkey. All right, If you've ever been to Istanbul, primo city in, 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 in that part of the world. Um, and so what's happening is, is he's writing to these people, Paul is, and he's communicating to them about the salvation experience, that this is what happens and this is how this happens. And so in that day and age where, where they're all listening to this, they understand that the smaller the table that you ate at, uh, the fewer the people they can get around it, the more exclusive it is, the more important you are, the more VIP you are, the more spiritual you are. The larger the table that you eat at, the more people that can assemble around that table, the more common and average that you are. And the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which record the life and the ministry of Jesus on this earth, the Bible shows us over and over and over in the Gospels, Jesus is eating at the table. He's talking at the table. He's reclining at the table. He's leaving the table. He's approaching the table. It's almost two dozen times in the Gospel of Luke alone. And, and over and over and over, Jesus is at all these various tables. And over and over and over, he's at all these large tables. And the religious establishment of the first century, they go ape because they look at Jesus and they go, how can he do this? If he says he's the son of God, if he's the Messiah, then he shouldn't even be able to sit with anyone and eat. Instead, he eats with these sinners. He eats with these prostitutes. He eats with the, with, with the tax collectors. He eats with the worst of people. It's like a religiously communicable disease that they view this large table. And Jesus says, no, I've not come for the healthy. I've not come for the whole. I've come for the sick. And so whoever wants to sit at the table and eat with me can eat with me. It's interesting to me that how does Jesus establish the fact that we should remember his death until he comes? Communion. 
The, the, the wine represents the blood of Jesus. The bread represents the, the body that was broken. And it's the ultimate table. And he says, this is the largest table ever established. Anybody, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, is welcome to sit at my table, is welcome to be forgiven, is welcome to come in. So when John says, Jesus says, I stand at the door of your heart and I knock. And if you'll open the door and let me come in and eat with you, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. He's saying, I don't care who you are. I'm not looking to be so acceptable. I'm not looking for a religious elite. I will be willing to sit down because that table experience is the most social relational experience in the first century. And it was usually only denoted to people that were very exclusive. And Jesus opens it up to everybody. Food is spiritual. And so what happens is Jesus says, hey, here I am. Here I am. I mean, today's Father's Day, so I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do for lunch today because I get to pick where I'm eating today. I don't always get to pick. I live in a household with three ladies. Today, I'm going to Taco John's. Taco John's is my jam. I'm getting two taco burgers with some mild sauce. Don't hate me because you ain't me. I'm going to get some potato olays. Can I get a witness in the house? I'm getting myself three churros. Three. One, two, three. Count them. Three churros, baby. With some extra cinnamon and spice and everything nice. I'm getting a large Diet Coke because it cancels out the calories. Can I get a witness? Hallelujah. I'm going to do that. And then some days, you know what, I like to go to McDonald's to get a Big Mac filet of fish, quarter pounder, French fries, Coke, thick shake, Sunday apple pie, and a small Diet Coke, please. Some days I get my jam on at Arby's with some roast beef. Can I get a witness? I get my jam on with original spicy chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A. Woo! Sing it now. I feel Jesus. Amen? It doesn't matter where you go to eat, it's a spiritual experience, it's a relational experience, and that's what Jesus says he wants. He's not looking for crusty formality. He's not looking for you to be a member of the local church. He's not looking for you to be best friends with a pastor. He wants a relationship with you. And I'm going to ask you this question, now I'm going to ask you this question at the end of the message. How are you with Jesus? In the words of the great Doobie Brothers, another great set of theologians. Is Jesus just all right with you, or do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not asking you if you were ordained or blessed or christened or baptized or dedicated by the church. I'm asking you, do you know Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with him the way Paul's talking about? Do you have a personal relationship with him the way John's describing the book of Revelation? When was the last time you sat at the table and just ate with him? Hmm. See, what you feel right now is not indigestion from some bad burritos you had from Chipotle yesterday. What you sense right now is a convicting power of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing you. That's his role. And convicting you. So what happens at the salvation experience? Well, Paul says right here in these last four verses, there's two things that happen. Number one, you experience unconditional love. This is important. Unconditional love in verses 18 and 19. What is so different about the love of Jesus? Well, look back at John 3, 16, God's plan to save the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. That word so in the original language that the Bible is written in means without condition. No strings attached. It's not like when you're watching, you're going to watch the NBA Finals tonight and see Golden State put the whip on the Cleveland Browns. Can I get a witness? Oh, Jesus. I'm just telling you, I was making sure you guys are awake. Yes, I know it's the Cavaliers. Oh, my goodness. The Browns, no, it's the wrong team. 
All right. Here's what's going to happen. You're there, and in that moment, the, I lost my train of thought right there. I totally lost it. I just lost it. I got to get it back, Donna. So love of God, without strings, without condition. Original language in the book, in, in the Greek, this is the way it means, without strings, without condition. Let me explain it to you like this. You people all mess my preaching up. Don't mess my preaching up. <laughs> you and I are limited. We're finite. We have a beginning and an end. And so every part of us, because we have a beginning and the end, we are, we, we are limited in such a way that every capacity that we have is limited. Every attribute that we have is limited because we're finite. Unlimited is what God is. The Bible says that God has no beginning and he has no end. He was here before the world began. He will be here when time is over. When eternity ends, God will still be here. And eternity, I know, never ends, which kind of blows our circuit because we're limited. We're finite. And so because God has no beginning and he has no ending, he is, as John the Revelator said, he's the Alpha, the Omega, the, begin, the first and the last, that which was and is to come and forevermore shall be. Because of that, all of his characteristics have are unlimited. So is his love. His love is limitless. It has no bounds. His love has no beginning. His love has no ending. So in 1 John, when the Bible says that God is love, it's really a profound statement. It's not as simple as it sounds. It just simply means that God is. And because God is, before time began and when it's all over, so is God's love. Because that's who God is. That's what God is. That's what he's comprised of. But he's bigger than what it is. So it, before time began and when it's over, he's still there. He's limitless. That's the reason why in verse 18, 19, it says that I want you to experience, Paul says, this fullness of God, this love of God that's so high you can't get over. It's so wide you can't get around it. It's so deep that you can't get under it. He's letting us know it's limitless. There is no limit. There is no bound. There is no boundaries. And so all of a sudden, you and I, all we know is limited love. I don't care who you are. I don't care how close to God you are. I don't care how sweet the person is. Is that your love with your spouse is still limited because you're limited. Your love for your children, as great as it is, it's still limited. Your love for your parents, as wonderful as it is, teenagers, <laughs> it's still limited. Your love for your mother, for your father, for your, for your son, for your daughter, for your brother, for your sister, your love for each other, it's still limited because you're limited. You cannot be limitless. Your love cannot be limitless because you are not limitless. The only one that can be limitless is God. And so all of a sudden when we experience the God that so loved us without strings, without conditions... It blows our cerebral cortex. It blows every synapsis in our brain, every part of who we are, because it, there is no limit to it. There is no condition to it. I know where I was going with my game, my, my game thing tonight. When you're watching the game, and, when, and when, when Golden State beats the Cleveland Cavaliers, does that help you people? Dear Lord, the Cleveland Cavaliers, when, De, when LeBron James goes downtown Judy Brown for the last time, when it's over and done with, and you're watching the commercials and they show a Maserati for $99 a month, you better read the fine print at the bottom because there's conditions. 
But when it comes to God, there is no conditions. There's no qualifiers. There's no small print. There, 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 there's not a lot much of legal ease. He just is. And because he is, he can be the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Because he is love, he can give love limitlessly. Because he is that, he has no bounds and no limits. And it is just that simple. Not for you and I because we're limited. But for him, it's limitless. And so Paul says, man, in verse 18 and 19, we can experience unconditional love. The only way you're getting to this side of eternity is through Jesus Christ, the Son, from God the Father. The second thing he tells us in verse 20 and 21 is that we can experience unlimited resources. I didn't write it. I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about it. I'm not trying to be good ship lollipop about it. I'm not trying to put a spin on it. He says this in the Bible. Look at this in verse 20 and 21 again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. That's a lot. Because I got a big imagination. Right? I, 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 I can ask for a whole, whole, whole lot. And, 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 I, and I, I can believe for a whole, whole, whole lot. And the Bible says right there that he can do immeasurably more, marketably more. Greater more. Why? Because, again, we just defined this. My resources are limited. His resources are unlimited. And all of a sudden, when I come into faith in Christ, I'm not telling you that you're going to drive a Maserati because you follow Jesus. I'm not saying you won't either, but I'm just saying I'm not saying that you will. I am saying this, that God can do immeasurably more than above you can think or ask. Beyond your ability to even imagine, that's what God wants to do for you. Some of you are here, you're single in this room, and you so desperately want to be married. He can do immeasurably more than you can think or ask. Don't, don't set your sights low. Set your sights high. I know I've seen some of you. Just keep setting your sights high. Amen? Amen. Amen. Give some faith. Come on, I'm telling you right now. That's all you need right now. Some of you, you're, you're believing for, for children and for families. Immeasurably more than you can think or ask. Some of you, you're believing for a career. Immeasurably more than you can think or ask. Some of you, there's a company that you want to do because you want to leverage your talents and your resources for the kingdom of God. Immeasurably more than you can think or ask. Some of you, you, you want to get to retirement so you can leverage those years, not just for yourself, but you want to be able, and not just to enjoy them, but you want to leverage them for the kingdom. Immeasurably more than you can think or ask. Listen, no thing is too big for God. He is limitless. He's so large you can't get over him. So low you can't get under him. So wide you can't get around him. And Paul says that when you experience this salvation relationship with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden you, you experience God at his finest to do exceedingly and abundantly above all you can think or ask. The key to the experience of experiencing God's unconditional love is unlimited resources, is that Jesus must be in your heart. If you want to experience the unconditional, unlimited love of God, the unconditional, unlimited resources that he has, it must, Jesus must be in your heart. So is he? Is he in your heart today? That's the question. How are you with Jesus? Where is he? Listen, every time we see it in the New Testament, when someone encounters Jesus, the rich young ruler says, peace out, I can't do this, and walks away from him. Zacchaeus, who is a crook and is robbed and steal and stolen and swindled everybody he knows, what does he do? He invites Jesus, says, I'm coming to your house. He's standing at the door and he's knocking. Zacchaeus says, come in. And he has a relationship with Jesus. And he goes back to every person he's ever done wrong, and he pays them back, and then some. That's what God does. 
everybody accepts or rejects. It's your choice. You're given free will, free choice, free moral agency is given to you. No other critter on the face of the planet gets that except for humanity. Because God doesn't want us to love him because we're forced to. He wants us to love him because, he, because we choose to. It's like every dad in this room, you want your children to love you and respect you because they choose to, not because you force them to. When they're little, you teach them and train them. As they get older, you, get, you, 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 you begin to take more and more and more padding away so that they're able to experience life. And then when they get to a certain age, you're like, hey, it's your choice. You're an adult. You're 18. Here's options. I want to bless you. You want to do your own thing? That's your choice. Does that affect the heart of the father? Sure it does. But no dad wants to make his kids, make his children love him. Every dad wants their children to love him because they choose to. I want my girls to love me and respect me because they choose to love and respect me, not because I force their hand to. That's the same way with God. Hands off. I will draw you by my Holy Spirit, God says. I will reveal truth to you, as Paul just says in this passage. I will open up the windows of heaven and do exceedingly abundantly above all you can think or ask. And I'll ex- let you experience the unconditional love that only I can give. But if you don't want it, I'll be a gentleman. I won't force my way. Where's Jesus today? He's standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. Here's what I'm going to do. In just a minute, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to bow their head and close their eyes. Out of reverence. In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer with me. Praying the prayer doesn't save you. But praying the prayer basically says this. If you believe what you're about to pray, according to Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. It's that simple. You can accept it. You can reject it. It's your choice. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray this prayer. I'm going to ask every one of you who've prayed this prayer before to lend your voice for those who are praying this prayer for the very first time. And I'm going to ask everybody, no one, to move around just for a minute. I just want to pray this prayer, and then we're going to be out of here. But I know there are people that are here today, you're far away from the Lord. And you sense God knocking at the door of your heart. It's your choice. You don't answer to me. I'm just one beggar to another beggar where to find food. I'm just a messenger. This is between you and the Lord. So would everybody bow their head and just close their eyes just out of reverence for this moment? In just a second, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. For those that have already prayed the prayer, that are saved, you've got a relationship with Jesus Christ, and lend your voice with those that are praying this prayer for the very first time. And for those of you that have not yet, but today you go, Aaron, I want to open the door and I want Jesus Christ to come in and eat with me and me with him. I want that relationship with Jesus. It's this simple. It's speaking with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. Those aren't my words. God's word, Romans 10, 9 and 10. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you want to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior today, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart 
to come into my life and to be my Lord and to be my Savior today. I believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on my cross for my sins, and rose again, just like the Bible says. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I make you Lord of my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.